the best advice that I can give is like, go where the joy is. If you see someone doing yoga and you're like, whoa, that looks really cool. Like, I would love to do that. Do that today, do that tomorrow. Go where the joy is, go where the passion is, the excitement, because emotions fuel our decisions. What's up Adidas runners and welcome to the final episode of the Ultra Boost. I'm your host, Adidas Runners Ambassador and the founder of Slow F Run Club, Martinez Evans. And with me today, I have musician and marathon runner, Kieran Gandhi, who also performs as Madam Gandhi. Kieran famously ran a marathon on her period without any protection, aiming to reduce stigma surrounding women's bodies and more notably surrounding period shaming. In this episode, we talk about how to direct your energy towards a larger cause. Are you ready? Well, let's get into the show. Karen, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Martinez. Thank you. Thank you. For the listeners who may be unfamiliar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in New York City. I am a drummer, a musician. I love running, but I was sort of uh, a more late runner. I remember running track as a kid, but really started running when I was in business school in Boston, uh, inspired by seeing folks on the Charles River just run when it was like snowing or hailing or sleeting outside, you know, like just very raw with it. And uh, my journey with running really did start about six, seven years ago. And my running journey really culminated in 2015 when. I ran the London Marathon bleeding freely on my menstrual cycle to combat the stigma that women, girls, and trans folks face all around the world. So, like, going back to your initial days of running, like, what type of obstacles did you face early on? Um, I think it's, I'm always someone who's, like, really excited about something in the beginning. So, I'll, like, buy the gear and, like, get, you know, outfits and things like that. But then after, like, day four or five, I'm like, wait a second, this is actually hard and challenging. And so, I think what's always tough for me is consistency. But the thing that kept me going was noticing how quickly I felt I was improving. And it allowed me to really fall in love with my own body in a way that hadn't happened uh, for me in any other sport, really. I, as a musician, the year before had been touring as the drummer for an artist named MIA. And so I was her drummer. We're traveling the world. And as with any kind of tour, I remember um, feeling... Uh, Like I wanted to lose a bit of weight. And I remember feeling um, really inspired by how raw I felt like these runners were on the Charles River in Boston, because I would always be so cold walking to class and things like that. And they would just be out there in the morning getting getting after it. And I, I just felt so inspired by that tenacity. And so I started running. And I remember the thing that kept me going back was what I described earlier, feeling like I was better and better daily, you know, daily. And that kind of connection with your own body and with your own progress is what what kept me staying out there. Nice. Uh, did somebody initially influence you to get going, or was it just you seen these people and you was like, "I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get after it." To the, in the beginning, um, it was just seeing folks being like able to combat like I just think being cold is so uncomfortable. Like I've never been someone who does well in cold climates, and so. I just find it like absurd to see someone running out in the cold. So truly that was my biggest motivation. But as I was putting in longer miles, I remember telling one of my good friends who is a marathon runner, you know, like Meredith, I just ran 10 miles for the first time in my life. And I had a good time and I felt comfortable and strong. And, you know, I felt like I could have run three more when I finished and maybe I want to try a half marathon. And she's like, oh my God, 
I just signed up for the London Marathon. It's in nine months from now. You have plenty of time. You should run it with me. And I'm running with a charity and I think I can get you in and, you know, go for it. And and that kind of encouragement means the world because I think when people are competitive or when they're like, you know, exclusive with their running, that defeats the the joy of the whole thing. So you're going on this journey of like training for a London Marathon. How was it? You know, it's your first marathon. Like, tell me more about the training aspect of it. Um, I remember training not as much as you would think. Like, I really only put in runs probably three times a week. I was doing other training in between. So I did a lot of strength training. I really recommend that for anyone listening. Um, being able to, to strength train the muscles around the knees and ankles, and especially your your butt, you know, your gluteus muscles, really made a difference. Um I remember being worried, you know, my knees sometimes hurt when I'm running, especially on the concrete and doing like individual squats, individual leg workouts, individual workouts for my calves and for my glute muscles, just like that was a game changer. And so I was doing that with a personal trainer at the gym every other day. And I was only running three times a week. So I would do like a Tuesday, like 40 minute run, you know, how many ever miles that was. And then I would do like a Friday, like pretty long run, like six miles, let's say like long, you know, an hour. And then on Sunday, without fail, I would always do like a distance run, whether it was 13 miles, 15 miles, 16 miles, um, and and really put in the distance. And that really helped build up my confidence to feel like I'm capable of running that far. You know, when you think of 26 miles, it just seems like such an absurd amount of distance. But if you've run at one point 21 miles, you're like, okay, I could probably finish those last five if it was like the context of someone cheering, your family's at the finish line, you know, all these exciting things that make a marathon um, as special as it is. And and that's precisely what ended up happening. That's very interesting. So I, I always have a conversation with my friend about this whole context of like when you're training for a marathon, most, most people stop around like 21 miles or 22 miles as far as like training. And he always wondered like, man, like how are you going to get, if you only ran 22 miles for the first time in your life, like how you gonna get from like 22 the twenty six point two, and and that's the thing I always tell them: it's the crowd, man. It's the the momentum that's gonna. It's get. The crowd, and I think people. That's the re. I think also the first time you personally run twenty six point two miles, you want it to be in the context of a marathon because you want the celebration around it. If you run twenty six point two miles by yourself just to practice for the real thing, which plenty of people do. Obviously, if you're running an ultra marathon, then twenty six point two that's your distance run on Sunday, right? But I, I think that's why people hold off so that their main 26.2 is in the context of a marathon because it's celebrated. Right, right. So during your long runs, what do you think about? Oh, man, I have this super spiritual thing that I've that after the third mile, everything changes. So like, even to this day, having run so many years, I still find the first three miles enormously challenging. And no one really talks about that. But like, the first three miles are challenging because your body is still warming up. You're still getting into the groove of it. You're changing from whatever you were doing bef- the moment before, you know, then into running, which is no matter what you say, it's an intense activity. So I think that after the first like three miles or first 30 minutes, I instantly experience a change in my body and a change in my mental attitude. Um, I'll feel like it's very difficult at first. I'll feel it's very like, I don't really want to do this right now, you know, this kind of thing. But then after the first 30 minutes, I instantly am like, oh, I can go for a while. I can go for longer. I can do this. I can think about, you know, the future. I can think about ideas that usually are challenging to me that no longer feel challenging or, you know, problems that I thought were problems. They kind of like kind of unlock themselves on my longer runs. 
So that's definitely uh, the mental health side of things. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things I'm always thinking about myself going out there for those long runs. I'm always like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I want to my body and my mind is like, I don't want to do this. And then somewhere around that time, that mileage as well, mile three, mile four is like, okay, I guess I can do this. This is not as bad as I thought it was. Let's talk about race day. Like what was going through your mind before everything started? Yeah. You know, a lot of folks, because this story is a famous story, um, the story is told by many reporters as this sort of premeditated activist decision. And I do see it as an activist decision, but for a very different reason. It was because it was an activist decision because it, I, I was, it was an act of me showing up for my own personal power. Is it, that makes sense. You know, in that moment, I remember being at the London start line and realizing I was about to be on day one of my period, which for anyone, you know, who's listening to this, including yourself, who doesn't have a period, one thing you don't want to be doing on day one of your menstrual cycle is having to go for a long 26.2 mile run. And so like many of us who have been caught unprepared on our cycle, I remember thinking, you know, what are my options in this moment? And I was like, all right, a pad that causes chafing. I've heard don't use that for a long distance run. Um, a tampon. I mean, I guess I could have uh, tried to find one. I didn't feel like it would be appropriate for a four hour run. I didn't think it would be comfortable. I also didn't want like the string uh, to cause like chafing or discomfort while I was trying to run. Like I just genuinely had never run such a distance when I was on my period. Uh, I didn't really know what people do. I didn't have a menstrual cup on me on the time at the time. So I was like, I would rather just bleed freely and run than have to use any of these products or try to find any of these products in this moment that are not appropriate for this situation. And I knew that that was radical. Like I, I hadn't really heard of anyone free bleeding, um, anything, you know. And I, and I was like, but at at the same time, bleeding and running twenty six miles is like punk rock. No matter how you look at it, no matter where you're bleeding from. And so I remember running. I remember bleeding. It's funny because I'm wearing these like bright orange tights only because they matched the breast cancer care shirt that I was wearing. Like, you know, I could have been wearing black tights like anybody else. And this would not have gone viral to the same extent that it did. It went viral because in the photos, you can see me bleeding. And that's a radical thing that we as a culture were not used to seeing, even though all of us as women and people who bleed all around the world are very aware of what our own bodies do. So I crossed the finish line. And it was I mean, it was an incredible race. I didn't stop running entire time. They tell you you're going to cross, you know, you're going to have the wall, you're going to have to walk. We didn't have to walk. I felt so empowered. I felt so proud of my body because I'm I'm so used to feeling like I'm supposed to be bedridden, like eating chocolate on day one of my period, as opposed to like doing this empowered, bold, elite thing, such as running a marathon. And I think I also bled freely because I knew like you can't shame a marathoner. Like, how are you gonna shame someone who's doing this like elite act from this? Like, how are you gonna be on the sidelines? trying to make somebody feel bad when they're doing this iconic thing, such as running a race. Like I felt very empowered by the fact that I was running a marathon. Like, I don't think I would show up to like class free bleeding. So I, I crossed the finish line. I knew I felt so proud of myself. And I also had this thought like, wow, millions of women and girls and trans folks who bleed all around the world are not even in the same position of privilege to even choose how it is that they want to take care of their period every month. 
either we're shrouded in shame and secrecy, either we lack access to the products that we need to take care of ourselves each month on our cycle, um, or you know, in, in in sort of the most harmful cases, where we're ostracized from our families each each uh, month. You know, cases in parts of India, parts of Africa, you know, all around the world, we're seeing these traumatic ways that we we treat uh, young women when when we have a period. And and even in the U.S., I I was very aware that folks who are incarcerated are trading, you know, the sense that they're making uh, for access to a tampon in the prison system. Or homeless women are deeply uncomfortable suffering because they don't have access to the products they need. So no one was talking about this, you know. No one was talking about this in 2015 to the extent that like we have these gender symposiums and gender conferences, and no one was talking about it. So to to sort of wrap up. When I crossed the finish line, I wrote a blog post about all of these things that I'm sharing with you right now. And, and that was the story that went viral. And we've come so far since then, Martinez, like even in running and, and, and in sports in general, just like talking about what different gendered bodies do in sports, that's been a radical shift that's happened as a result of this story going viral and so many of the activists um, who are pushing this work forward. At what point do you realize like this had a, a greater meaning? Like, did you? Yeah, always- I felt it because, you know, the first time I put the blog post up, it was just for my friends and family and my friends and family were like, you're hilarious. This is so you, you would do this. This is hilarious. Like, this is cool. You know, like you're wild, this kind of thing. Because my friends know me. They know that I have always kind of had a very feminist, let's say, school of thought when it comes to liberation for all genders and all people. And it very much comes out through my politics and through the way I think. And so for them, they were like, of course you would do, like, of course you would run a marathon in this way. But I knew that there was something special in that because the story was wild. It hadn't been done before. And I used, in the blog, I used this story as a teaching opportunity. So I, I felt like I wanted it to reach people, you know, and I actually knew that it would probably do more. Like, I knew that the reaction would be polarizing, like I knew that it would be a risk, but I felt so strongly in the truth of the whole thing that I, I shared it with a bunch of news sites and the story went viral. And so when you, you know, you mentioned that you, your family reaction, initial reaction was like, of course, you would do something like this, like, of course. Karen would do that. Tell me more about that. Like, what what does that mean? Um, I mean, I, w- I studied women's studies and gender as my minor at Georgetown. Since I was a kid, I've always looked at gender as this thing that needs to evolve and, and, and we can always do better. You know, as a kid, I, I would watch pop culture and I would watch music videos and I'd be such a fan of like the top hip hop artists or the top pop artists of the time. But then I would watch their music videos and be so upset at the way women and girls are reduced to our sex and sexuality instead of being portrayed as like three-dimensional characters in in pop culture or in film and cinema. I was always the kid in the classroom being like, I don't think we should settle for this. And I think that's why my friend said, of course you would run Bleeding Freely. Did that provide like a problem in your life? Because mm. I would say like back in 2015 or 2012, like someone having a feminist thought would seem as like counterculture? Yeah, I love that question. You know, I'm interested in the truth. I'm interested in being on the right side of justice. Even with social media, a lot of folks now in my work 
they'll message me and say, hey, can you post this activist cause? Can you share that activist cause? Or they'll like troll me and be like, I'm unfollowing you because you didn't post about this activist cause. Here's the thing. I like to have my own opinion, my own thoughts, and my own critical analysis about what I think about something. And if I don't know enough about something or I don't feel compelled to post about something, I just don't. I only post about stuff I genuinely, with my whole brain and my whole heart, believe is on the right side of justice and on the right side of history. I feel very strongly that we should have menstrual equity in this country and in the world. So it's very easy for me to speak from a place of honesty, clarity, cohesion um, about these issues because it's so pure for me and so obvious to me that we are behind on these things. So I recently found out you just ran your sixth marathon. What other marathons have you ran since I ran London, then I ran Vancouver, then it was Los Angeles, then it was Hawaii, then it was Los Angeles again. They did the New York City Marathon virtual in in, uh, November. So I ran it from Mm -hmm. my hometown and was able to say that I at least ran a virtual marathon. Uh, What would you say? What was your toughest marathon? My best and my best marathon was... uh, was Vancouver and my time was 4.22. And for me, that was a personal record. Um, Of course, getting sub four would be a dream one day, Uh, but I remember the air quality in Vancouver was so good. It ended up being faster than I thought I was gonna run it. So I felt very proud of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my worst marathon was probably my first LA marathon, so 2018. I just like was overconfident and ran the first 13 miles really, 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 really fast. I was like putting in like eight 22 minute miles, which for me compared to my 10 or 11 minute miles on a marathon was like really good. And I was like, oh, we got this. We got this. We're going to get sub four. It's going to be awesome. And then I experienced the classic funk where you just can't even pass 20. And I literally walked from 20 to 26. Like it was just a total failure. But you have to go through that to learn because I was like, I'm not pushing myself enough in the other marathons, you know, like I would finish the marathons being like, I wonder if I could have gone faster, you know? So that's why I had to have that marathon to like go too far in the opposite direction. <laughs> How is that feeling of like bonking, right? I've had members uh, that I coach just like, man, I bonk. I feel like I'm, I'm trash. I'm a worst person ever. Like, what was your experience bonking in LA? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It feels... It feels like now you have to finish this thing that you started, but like not in a way that you'd want to, to finish it, you know? So it doesn't feel fun anymore. And you're walking and you want, it, the worst part was wanting to run and I physically couldn't. And I was like, oh, wow, this is what people mean. I never experienced that feeling before. I just couldn't, like, there's no pep in your step. Like you just got nothing. There's no glycogen left in your, in your muscles. Like you just don't have anything left in the tank because you've expelled it all. I love that you can put your shoes on and go. And now we have folks who are running barefoot, you know, and they swear by it. So really, in theory, you don't even need anything uh, if you really want to run. That's my favorite part about it. And that's certain that running is such a good sport for us because it was the it was pretty much one of the only things that I was able to do for my own fitness uh, when the, the biggest lockdowns happened in April and May of this year. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And like running has been my savior throughout this COVID-19 uh, situation, you know? So I run a run club called the Flow F Run Club. And even the members in there, like they're, you know, it, when when they officially went on lockdown, they the energy waned, you know, it was hard for them to get going. And eventually we started to get going, right? 
So like, what would you say to people who's out there who is very affected by uh, COVID? What would you say to people who are struggling to get energized, to get active? The biggest recommendation I'd have is to remove self-judgment. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm not that fast. I hate running. I'm bad at it. Um, all these negative things. Like, of course, you're never going to put on the shoes and run when you feel these negative emotions. We have to be positive. We have to like, I sometimes I literally put on my shoes and I celebrate that moment. I'm like, the shoes are on. Good job. And then like, I leave the house and I'm like, good job. We left the house. Okay, cool. Did you want me? Like, I have this self dialogue, you know? Do you want to start running now? Okay, yeah, I do. What music are we going to listen to? Oh, yeah, okay. I have actually, I just put together a playlist. I'm really excited to run to this playlist and see how it feels. Okay, cool. Let's play it. Cool. Let's put it on. Do, let's put my phone on. Do not disturb. Like, that's my favorite thing, you know, the fact that you can do that and, and really get, in, get involved with your own personal time through running. And you got to just go slow. Like, if you're just going to put in 10 minutes, that's okay. Like, put in the 10 minutes and come home and celebrate that 10 minutes. And then, the next day you say, okay, can I do 13 minutes? You know, okay, can I do six songs instead of four songs? Like, I really do believe in this incremental self-love approach instead of like going from zero to a hundred and then getting mad at yourself. It doesn't make any sense. So, you you know, you got this keen sense of like directing energy from like one place to another. And like, what I mean for this is that, you know, degree in math, worked at Interscope, Harvard MBA, drummer for MIA, now you're an artist. Like, what's your process of like, directing your energy to these things. Mm. How do you do it? I'm telling you, I think when I see something that somebody else does that inspires me, I, I really pay attention to that. Like the runners from the Charles River, I just would watch them every day and find this healthy jealousy. Like, yo, I wish I was the kind of person who would get up at 6.30 in the morning in the dead of winter to go for a run. Like, I just... I stand like I just had so much respect. I was like, that is so legit. Like I'm usually freezing and tucked into bed at that hour. And so to be able to feel like I can do something that I'm gravitating towards, that's usually how I think about these different things. And it was the same for Harvard and, M and MIA. I remember getting asked to do the MIA tour right around when I got accepted to go to business school. And a couple of my close friends were like, oh my God, which one are you going to choose? And I was like, I don't want to choose either one. Like <laughs> I want to do both and I want to make it work. And I want to like put my energy, as you say, and direct it into, into being able to show up for both. And, and that is what ended up happening. So I, I just pay attention to what excites me and when I feel good. And I double down on that truly. And so it's all about feeling and vibes, mm -hmm. right? You got this song that's called Top Not Turn Up. It was recently used in a Adidas campaign featured by Tons of women of all different sizes, shapes, backgrounds, even my favorite uh, yogi, shout out to Jessamine Stanley, doing all of these incredible athletic things with their body. What was your inspiration behind that song and how did you feel to be a part of that project? I was so happy when Adidas chose to use my song Top Not Turn Up for the women's running campaign and women's athletics campaign. I was so I was so happy. It was exactly the kind of space that I would have wanted that song to exist in because that audience is exactly who I wrote this song for, you know? So often I feel a very spiritual connection towards tying my hair up in a bun because it's like, now we're about to get to work, whether it's doing emails or, uh, you know, producing a song or going for a run or going for boxing or all these different things. And so that's who I wrote uh, this song for. You know me, I've always got quotable. So in your song, Waiting For Me, you got this bar that says, Stick
could you talk more about how stigma uh, causes people to sit on the sidelines of their life? You know, for the dawn of time, we've been conditioned to value the opinion of our others. And I think to a certain extent, that's healthy in the sense that we want to progress together as a culture. And so we invite other people into what we do and say, as any society has forever, um, you know, ancient, anciently speaking. But I definitely think that social media and social backlash on the internet um, has certainly prevented people from feeling like they can speak outwardly and openly. Now, I think what's lacking in our culture is empathy, compassion, and the ability to say where you're coming from or why it is you think the way you think, and also for there to be space for us to question each other and push back in a way that is intended to make the other person better. I recently looked at one of your uh, YouTube videos. Would you say that meditation is a great way to redirect your energy to a larger cause? Absolutely. Meditation is so important because when you are meditating and in a state of inner peace, you're actually training the nervous system to relax and to actually like heal things that need to be healed. So if you're constantly you know, a lot of us are over caffeinated, living in LA, living in the Bay, living in these kind of like parts of society that expect us to have this rapid output of productivity at any given moment in the day. Our nervous system is constantly in overdrive. So that's not how it, how nature intended it. That's why we have so many ailments, no matter where you go, because we're constantly in this fight or flight, whether we psychologically realize it or not. And so meditation teaches the body to just relax breathe, focus on only the breathing, settle down. You are safe. You are calm. You are grounded. You are held. You are loved. Everything is fine. You actually have to actively coach the body to feel that way so that then the body can regulate all aspects of our of our cells and of our cellular system uh, and, and make sure that we're not getting sick or that we're not um, perpetuating problems in our body that, that oftentimes get overlooked because our energy is going to some, something else. And no one talks about that. So that's like the one main thing about meditation. The second thing is that in the morning, I have definitely more of an active meditation. So I make sure to take time to like blank the mind, as they say, and, and dive into my breathing. And I do a lot of breathing exercises every morning. But then I shift gears and I visualize all the things that I have happening in my day. I visualized, you know, like this morning, I visualized you're in my podcast. And I visualized the things that I definitely wanted to make sure to say. And every time I do something like that, when I'm in the thing for real, I remember and I'm more present in it because I psychologically have already gone through the experience once. So it's it's no longer an unfamiliar experience. And I'm a, I'm a big practitioner of, of sort of visualizing things before they happen. Before a marathon, I visualize what the number 15, you know, of the 15 mile sign might look like. I visualize the, the gel that I'm going to take at mile 21, you know, like so that I have somewhere to go. And this work helps a lot. So after my run today, after, you know, going for my run and just like getting together and just getting dressed and things of that sort, you know, I was sitting there and my, my wife was just looking at me like, what's going on? Like, what's, mm-hmm. what are the wheels turning in your head mm-hmm. about? Like, it's something wrong. And I'm like, no, I'm just going over the podcast. Wow. Like, I can see the podcast. I can see Madam Gandhi there with all of the yellow um, and like me being energized. Wow. And, like, dope conversation. So I didn't. And and here we are. And here we are manifesting exactly what we both thought might happen. So it's atomic, baby. It's epic. It's 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 everything. But the thing is, I didn't even think of it as meditation, though. Mm. Like more as like 
a, a visualization process than which it is, which it is, which it is. But I, I do see it as a form of meditation because you're going inward in order to perform at a higher functionality outward. And I really, you know, what this is the most useful is like for challenging things or for things that you've been procrastinating. When I'm really procrastinating, I take a second. I'm like, Kieran, why have you not sent that email yet? Okay, I haven't sent it because I don't really know what to say. I don't want that person to be mad at me, but I do need to tell them this. Okay, what is your intention? Okay, my intention is just that I'm afraid of hurting their feelings. Why don't you just say that? Okay, cool. So that'll be the first line of the email. Okay, and what else do you want them to know? Okay, well, I want them to know that this, this, this. Okay, why don't you put that down? All right, cool. And who else are we going to copy on this email? And and when are you going to send it? I'm going to send it right now because now I know what to say in the email and I'm not afraid about it anymore. And and I, it's funny how how much I was doing that to myself where I just put stuff off because I don't want to deal with it because I'm not qualified for it. I'm not ready for it. When we do this visualization work ahead of time, we imagine ourselves doing the thing so that we're able to actually do it in real life. Mm-hmm. No, you've you've changed my perspective on like what meditation is. Like, th- this is this is what I needed personally. I'm so grateful, and I'll say one more thing too that not like is in the morning. I'm really trying to put in like anywhere between ten and thirty minutes, depending on what's possible. And the beauty of this quarantine is that um, I-, I found myself being able to get up a little bit earlier, so I have more time for this kind of work before my day starts. And like I said, the beginning is is slow, and then and then I'm able to kind of have a more active meditation, but. It sounds like it's a lot of time because it's 20 minutes, it's 30 minutes, but you're doing that work so that when you're in your actual day, you're taking less time to do these different jobs, if that makes sense. Like it's like an upfront investment in time to then shave off time on the back end and be more efficient in your in your day and more energized in your day with with what you're doing. And you bring a higher intentionality and consciousness to it. You're like, I'm excited about this podcast. I've chosen to show up here with my friend Martinez to have this conversation because we believe in it. We believe in the folks who might be tapping in with us right now. We we believe in what we're talking about. Um, yeah, intention is so important. So are you also big into like mantras and like motivational quotes? Yeah, of course, of affirmations. Absolutely. And in black and brown communities, especially, we've been, we've been on the mantras. We've been on the affirmations. Like, any kind of community that's experienced some kind of systemic oppression has had to come out of it by 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 validating ourselves, by 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 showing up for ourselves. And of course, now the world has adopted this kind of work. Um, but every day I start my day with three words that I either th- feel that I am or that I want to aspire to for that day. You know, like I am powerful. I am intelligent. I am loved you know i am grounded i am peaceful i am calm i am kind it's funny because i always end up doing i am calm and i am kind no matter what and then i usually just fill in with a different third world word every day um because i like reaffirming my own kindness and my own calmness uh but everyone's different you have to affirm what who you want to be who inspires you to to do better and be better listen i started off 2020 touring around the country for oprah Winfrey, and that is who inspires me. Oh, <laughs> on the tour, we have to address her as uh, as Miss Winfrey. Uh, and it's funny, I, I actually take back the word that I used because the word that I've been really channeling is mother loving. I'm like, that's even that's even the next level, mother loving, you know. And instead of you know, how people are like, you killed it, you slayed it. I'm like, yeah, we out here giving it life, we nourished it, you know, like. 
instead of it being such a negative rhetoric or like about killing things, what about if we energized it and gave it life? Um, language, everything. So, so Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, I do the meditation um, podcast she's done with Deepak Chopra. Those are the ones that I love playing in the morning. And it starts off with uh, Oprah giving a couple of words of wisdom for two, three minutes. And then Deepak Chopra leads the meditation of the day. And I play the audio uh, every morning. I, I really love that work. And then of course, when I was drumming for her, we had started off on a nine city stadium tour. I was kicking off the the show with this amazing organization called Daybreaker who throws morning dance parties around the country, sober morning dance parties. And we just threw like a big dance party for her audience, every single leg of the tour to kick off the entire stadium. And then she would come on the stage and, and start her, her speech. That brings me back to, and I know this happened to a lot of like runners out there. So for my first marathon, like I trained for a year and a half to get this thing done. Like it was like my life. And then when I completed the marathon, I was sad. I was depressed. Mm. I didn't run anymore. Mm. Like, so when you're talking about like, I always wanted to be MIA drummer. Like, I'm mm. just keeping, like, what was the physical reaction to like, when you got it? Like, did you get sad? Did you have post marathon depression? Yeah. Depression? I definitely had post-MIA depression when the tour ended my first year of business school, which is funny because that was really what prompted me to start running. Like I had all this time in my schedule and I felt the sadness and I felt, do I even deserve to be here? Like, do I deserve, I don't know. I just like felt totally what you're describing. And that's actually what motivated, motivated me to start running because I felt that running is such an honest achievement. Now, in general, with the ebbs and flows of life, I think one of the best things that I've learned is that we have to trust what's actually real. So like if in that moment, I don't feel like running or I don't feel like running is the sport that I'm compelled to, I think we should always try to motivate ourselves to stay active. Um, but like, for example, recently in the past couple of days, my knee, my right knee has been hurting. And so I've resorted instead to surfing, which has been wonderful. I love surfing and to uh, doing yoga. So a little bit more like low impact type activities that uh, for some reason don't hurt my knee as much as the running. So I think accepting those spaces are actually good because then you miss it so much. You're like hyped to start running again instead of feeling the sadness that you're describing or like that you're missing out or any of these kinds of things or that you'll lose it. I think my fear, my fear of losing it is like enough to keep me motivated. Like I don't let too many weeks go by without a good run to make sure that I'm still <laughs> functional as a runner. You get out there and you like, still got it. Still got it. And you know what I do to try to make it fun and interesting? I just try to find new places to run or new buddies to run with. A lot of people don't don't want to run with anyone. I'm like a both end. Like I want to run by myself, of course. But like if every now and then I'm running with somebody else, like why not, you know? Yeah, and I agree. So, and this is one of the reasons why I even created the Slow F Run Club was my whole life when it came to like running, since I'm the slow fat guy, nobody ever wanted to run with me. Or if they did want to run, like it's the fast people who like are like Boston qualifiers. Mm. And it's like, yo, like I'm teetering around 15 to you know sometimes a 10 minute mile, and mm. you over here like this BQ this BQ stuff. And it, it, at one point, it was really like it felt very defeating, mm. and almost I I wasn't a runner because I can't keep up with my friend who's a Boston qualifier, right? And mm -hmm. like, this is the reason why the Slow F Run Club was created because I, I I felt like I couldn't be the only person out there in the mm -hmm. world. Who feels this way. 
feels this way. Here, that's another thing you're describing too is like compassion. Like this, any time that we feel competitive with somebody else or that we feel the need to run faster than them, like we should all keep that in check. Like what is that, what is it that we need to prove that you can't just run in a more inclusive way to be with your friend? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of times people are like, no, 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 I don't want to run with you. Like I'm a lot slower than you are. That competitive mentality is so toxic. Like I, I went skiing the other day with my friend and he was just learning how to snowboard and I, and I stayed with him. Like he kept, you know, it took him time. He would fall, he'd get back up. I was on skis. So it was a lot easier for me. I'm comfortable on skis. And he's like, you're so patient. Like you can go, it's okay. Like, and I was like, no, I got you. Like we're in it together. If I wanted to ski alone, I would have skied alone. Like it's okay. I can ski another day and go fast. Like we have nothing to prove that friendship and kindness and like excitement to show up for somebody else and not make them feel self-conscious is like probably one of the most powerful things you can do. Cause when people have done that to me when they're patient and kind and don't make me feel like they're doing me a favor and they're just with me to hang, I feel loved. I feel seen. I feel encouraged. I feel valued. And that's one of the greatest gifts that that person has given to me. And that's what you're doing for so many people, Martinez. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I feel like, like that's my big sense of purpose. Bringing all of these people that's in the back of the pack who, you know, like we go through a lot in the back of the pack. Like we run out of water. They take down signs. So it becomes a scavenger hunt. You know what I'm saying? And like all of these other things, people talk crap about us. I so didn't like, know that. Yes. That's yes. ridiculous. I would, I, I just thought that once the last person crosses the finish line, then they break down. Nope. It's been that's many times. That's not like, why, why, like, why can't they just chill? Like, what the hell? You know what? Cause like you're calling it back of the pack, but that's like front of everybody else. That's the thing. It's like, maybe you're the back of that group of marathoners, but in the context of the world, you're farther along than everybody else who woke exactly. up that morning. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we're still part of the 1% who has ever ran a run. Amen to that, my friend. Wow. <sighs> that's exactly right. And this kind of ego thing though, of like, I'm this, I'm that, like, it's really detrimental. All we can do is say better than yesterday, you know? True that. We can talk all day long. So before I let you go, what is one part in a piece of advice would you like to live with our listeners and let people know how they can find out more about you? I think one of the best things that I've learned is like truly to shut out the noise and go where your joy is really go where your joy is. Today I was driving by Santa Monica and I looked at Santa Monica and I was like, Oh gosh, these runners, like this looks amazing. And so inspired by that, I'm going to try to get in a run tomorrow morning in Santa Monica. Um, simply because I know I noticed that today and then it becomes fun. It's like an adventure. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and do this fun, exciting thing t- tomorrow because I was inspired by it today. Instead of what often has been my rhetoric, which is like, oh, I got to get up early because I got to get this in. Because if I don't get this run in, then I'll get slow and I might put on weight and this and that. You know, that's not fun. Who wants to get up in a run when you're coming from a negative self place of fear? So I think the best advice that I can give is like, go where the joy is. If you see someone doing yoga, and you're like, whoa, that looks really cool. Like, I would love to do that. Do that today. Do that tomorrow. Go where the joy is. Go where the passion is, the excitement. Because emotions fuel our decisions. And so trying to disconnect from that and, and, and avoiding that honestly doesn't even make any sense. That's the reason we are giving those intuitions to begin with, those feelings of excitement and, and being drawn to something. We're given that human hyperintelligence for a reason. So go where the joy is. And you can find me on Instagram, Madam Gandhi. And 
you can listen to some music on Spotify. Madam Gandhi, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Martinez, you're such a light. And uh, I get to watch you smiling throughout this whole podcast because we're on video together and you smile with every one of those teeth. (laughs) And that has been a true joy for me to watch as well. Love, love, love and love to the Adidas uh, fam for bringing us together and bringing so many runners together in this crazy quarantine. I know that the Adidas running Instagram live has kept me sane uh, during difficult times. So big love to the Adidas squad, too. Thank you for tuning in into the final episode of the Ultra Boost. We hope you enjoyed being on this energy journey with us. If you feel inspired to discover a community of like-minded runners in your home city, be sure to check out Adidas Runners in your local area and join us today. Head on over to adidas.com slash Adidas Runners to discover a community near you. I'm Martinez Evans at 300 pounds and running on Instagram. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for going on this journey with me. You guys take care. Peace.